Hello and welcome to I Migrate the podcast, the show where I will be sharing the stories and experiences of people who have migrated to the UK from countries across the world. Whether they were escaping conflict, in search of education opportunities or looking for adventure, they all share the similar challenge of having to assimilate to a new country and culture. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Frances, a very good friend of mine, about her experience of migrating from Zimbabwe to the UK. Frances, welcome to the show. Frances, could you please introduce yourself? Thank you. Thank you, Flory. That's a nice introduction. And um, hopefully with whatever I say, it can be useful or even interesting or exciting to somebody else out there listening to me. So thank you. Frances, yeah. the other day when we, were, uh, just when we met up, yeah, you said something really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that you miss the dust in Africa. Come on, tell us more about this. (laughs) Oh, well, I suppose uh, it was because the question was asked. I I thought of what intrinsically I miss and uh, of Africa. And I I think it's probably anybody who comes from Africa, and it's anybody I've ever spoken to who's ever lived in Africa, it, it becomes part of your bones. It becomes part of your blood, your heart. It is always with you. And I think even if you become assimilated into other cultures around the world, that part of Africa always stays with you, I think. And that has been my experience of anybody coming from Africa. And uh, yes, I think I said I missed the dust, and I do. And I miss being able to pick a piece of fruit from a tree in a bush as I'm walking through the savannah countryside or that crisp blonde grass or a spider or or children who have such gaiety about them, even though they have nothing. They're just so jolly and they smile and laugh. And and I love that about Africa and I miss those sorts of things. Uh, Francis, for someone who has never been to Zimbabwe, I mean, you've given it such a huge and fantastic description there. But if we're thinking, you know, Africa is always, it's a big continent and it's got, you know, how many countries, 54 countries. But for somebody who's never been to Zimbabwe, what can you tell them about Zimbabwe? Well, uh, what can I say? I mean, it's the country of my birth, and it's um, a very beautiful country, and it's uh, got a lot of savanna bushland, it's got forestry, it's got the great Victoria Falls, and the wonderful hotels in Victoria Falls to go and visit. And it's got incredibly cheerful people, and it's a sort of gentle country of Africa, but it has been blighted by a horrible war which is a very painful experience for many people who come from Africa. And they will talk about it. They come from Zimbabwe. They will talk about that particular experience. The people are gentle and smiley and nice. And it's, 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 it's fresh air. It feels like fresh air. It's a very pretty country. So what was life like for you before you moved to the UK? Well, it was a full life. And although I grew up in war in 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 Zimbabwe, um, it didn't sort of feel like it too much because it became part of the experience of my life there. And it was only towards the end of the war there; it was a civil war. Did it feel horrible and uncomfortable? But prior to that, it it felt like a normal life. Uh, you know, even though we were 
It was a country sanctioned by international sanctions, and we had very little in the shops to buy often. And, you know, if you're here in, in England, for example, and you want to cook yourself some pasta bolognese for, for supper, in Zimbabwe, you wouldn't go and buy a tin of pasta sauce. You would chop up the tomatoes and the onions and the herbs, all fresh, because that was what was available. You didn't have a TV dinner to buy, and that was normal. You know, you had fresh produce and fresh ways of living. Um, so that was quite different when I came to live in England, to suddenly think, gosh, everybody buys pasta sauce in a tin. I've never done that before. And it took a while for me to even do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting for me, you know, just uh, for what you've just mentioned there, that you grew up in war. Because from my point of view, when I think of Zimbabwe, yeah. I don't connect it with war. For somebody who doesn't understand what that's about, could you yeah. tell us just a tiny little bit about it, please? Well, it had a devastating effect on everybody in the country. It, it, it was portrayed, the narrative that was adopted was to make it into a racist war, which was a horrible thing to have done because it wasn't integral to the people that I know, the experience I have of people of that country, that it was anything based on racism, but it became the narrative upon which the war predicated itself upon, and it, it wounded a lot of people. And I think it wounded me to think that that was the narrative which made sure that everybody was against each other in the country because it isn't actually the integral aspect of people in that country where we, we all really rather got on rather well with each other, in fact. I know that there was an issue about a lack of representation of black people in parliament and government. It was like that progress was a little bit slow in the coming and essentially when I think about that war, I think it was a, a war between international companies and countries within that small little country that played itself out in that little country and we all just became pawns of that that game and uh, in the end it wounded people in ways that I, I just think are, is unjustified. That's really interesting Francis. So what caused you to make the decision to move to the UK? What was behind this? Well, it wasn't a decision of mine to move, particularly. Um, although I'd been to England on several occasions before, it wasn't like it was unusual for me when I came to live here to integrate, to especially, except for there are a few things that I felt strange about, but it wasn't like it was the first time I'd ever come to England. But I married an Englishman in Africa, and he he was his life there was he was a development worker and he'd worked in many countries in Africa on development projects right from Ethiopia all the way down to southern Africa and beyond uh, Angola Mozambique Kenya uh, Sudan he lived in Sudan for five years he lived in Ethiopia for five years he ran a leper colony in Ethiopia for five years and uh he 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 came to live in zimbabwe to do development work for various european governments on develop, village development work we met and we traveled around africa and we went to various countries on his particular jobs and lived like lesotho and so forth and uh anyway he got to a stage where he decided he wanted to come back to, he wanted to come back to england his father was rather ill here and he wanted to spend a bit of time with him and we had a small daughter and it was really because I came with him back to his country, England, as his wife. It wasn't essentially a decision of mine to come and live in England. That's how I ended up here. 
And you mentioned that you had been to England before. Yes. So does it mean that your family had a connection in England? Because you've yes. already said that you were born in Africa. That's right. So uh, yes. could you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, initially, I think when the, the, before the winds of change in Africa, when colonization, countries of col- that were colonized were, be- were getting their independence back, um, Rhodesia was like, which was what Zimbabwe was initially known as, was like one of the last colonies that was ever set up by colonization idea around the world, and um, it was uh, it was it was still people people who went out to live in colonies in Africa to begin with were people who were slightly more wealthy who were able to speculate and they would take money that they had and speculate in colonies in Africa. And so I had family in England. And how it happened with our family was that there was an individual who wanted to speculate in Africa, but didn't have enough money. So I had a a great, great, great grandfather in England who lent him some money, said, off you go, and you can go and speculate if you want. And if you make any profit on it, you know, it'd be nice for me to, to, to share in that. Anyway, he lost all the money in Africa. He couldn't give the money back to my former ancestral grandfathers. And so he negotiated with Cecil John Rhodes, who was then the Prime Minister of Cape Colony in South Africa, as to whether he could repay my former grandfathers with with land. Can you believe it? And that is how uh, we ended up with a piece of land in Africa. And that is how I came to be living in Africa, essentially. Oh, very, very interesting. For somebody who is just listening to the conversation, when you say to speculate... What does that really mean, you know, for speculation yeah. here and, yes. and for the time? Yes, I mean, it's, it's it's a controversial subject to talk about in today's world because I think in that particular time, it was what was going on in the world, essentially, in, 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 in the way that the world, you know, the European countries colonised around the world. As far as I can understand, it meant that if you, you know, when people were making money in the in the world of colonization, whether it was in the the Far East or the Middle East or Africa or wherever South America, uh, people who lived back in Europe used it as a form of of of, of investment. Mm. You see, and uh, they didn't go out to mm. actually do the colonizations. They lived here back in Europe, and they gave money for the, the the project. Essentially, that's how it sort of happened, as far as I can make out, and so. That was the way that, like, buying stocks and shares today in companies around the world, it was like that, basically. I mean, I no mean, that's, way yeah. Of putting it. You know, I came to live in the UK from Kenya, and I yeah. know a lot of that as well happened in Kenya. Yeah. So that's I right. think there is sort of, you know, the two countries has got a sort of similar history. Yeah. But they differ mm. in that Kenya got their independence, I think it's, it's 63. And Zimbabwe was later on, isn't it? Is it? Yes. Uh, well, I suppose at that time when you, where Kenya got its independence, Rhodesia declared a unilateral declaration of independence, which I was a little girl, five, seven years old, I suppose. And it was only in 1980 that the full independence was given to the country. Yeah. So it was between... 1962, I think that happened in 1962, 1963, and from that point on until full independence in in which is now Zimbabwe, uh, the war 
escalated slowly all those years. So it started off slowly. We didn't even notice it, really. Um, It was only towards the end when it became particularly bitter and bloody. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so that it makes, makes it that, that makes it interesting for us being such mm. good friends because mm. we come from different mm. aspects of colonization mm. and I love our friendship because of that because we we can be friends regardless mm. and yet that is in England. Mm. I don't know what it would be like when we went back. <laughs> I think we'd still be friends. I think we? we'll still be friends to be honest. I don't think it makes any difference. Can you tell me about your final days in your home country? Yes. Uh well, as we were flying out of Zimbabwe to come to England, um, I had my little girl with me and Peter, and we were at the airport, and it was ironic, really, when I think back on it, because it was as if Africa was saying, I'm not going to let you go, because what happened at the airport was this unbelievable rain thunderstorm cracked over the airport at the time that we were to fly out and the British Airways aircraft was right at the end of the tarmac. The the vehicles had broken down so we were walking to get onto the British Airways uh, aeroplane to fly to England and this this thunder, you know, African thunderstorms are fantastical Mm. but this one was incredible. It was like a tornado and as, as it broke, everybody was running to get onto the British Airways aircraft and a small little group of us got stuck in the airport building and it was me and I saw my little daughter and my husband then running to get onto the British Airways aircraft and he was British and I was the little African and I got stuck in the aircraft building and we had to wait and the the aircraft couldn't take off and the, the storm raged for a solid hour and the aircraft couldn't take off. And only when it uh, abated a little bit were we able to get onto the aircraft and fly off out of Africa. And that flight out, and it was only when I landed in England did I realise, when I watched the news the next day, that the first white-born, indigenous white-born Zimbabwean farmers were murdered. And uh, then on, from then on to, for the next couple of years, white-born Indigenous white-born African farmers in Zimbabwe were being murdered and butchered and chased off their farms and displaced and had to flee and become displaced in their own country. Oh, that's very sad and for a poignant moment in in your life. He's leaving, but as well the history bit, you know, that came behind you. It was tremendously dramatic. Oh, that that is, that must have been. So you've just just brought one issue there that, you know, if somebody is listening to you, Yes. Yeah, because you just mentioned what any white-born farmers yeah. at the time yeah. uh, were murdered. But if somebody is listening to you, because this is something we laugh about all the time, I've never known anybody as African as you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, thank you. I take that as a compliment. Thank you. So, um, Yet I speak with a very English voice. It's exactly, such, so exactly. I, yeah, I know. I, I, that's How been said How work? <laughs> I know, isn't it? I know. Um, How does that work? Um, I'm not sure, really. It's just the way that I grew up in Africa. And when I was in Africa, it was often mentioned. And I I became very shy as a little girl because that was told to me a lot, that I I sound very English. Mm. Yet then when I come to, when I'm now in England, you know, people say, oh, but you've got a little twang to your voice. Where do you come from? And they always liken me to coming from somewhere like, Australia or New Zealand or somewhere, but it's Africa, yeah. Mm. 
and and that's 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 something we laugh about yeah. all the time. And I remember, you know, one of the first time when I met you, and uh, you said this to me: "You say when you come here, yes, you look like everyone else, but yeah. then the sense of belonging is not there." Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, when you know my work uh, yeah. within Life So Color, yeah. and as I've said, one of the things that we laugh about all the time is like, to be honest, Francis, you, you are African, you know, what, what, <laughs> you, ne- you never chose to be. I know this is the topic is sort of controversial, but I understand the pain of losing the place that you were born. And for me, your identity, whenever I speak to you, I've always seen you as an African because yes. that's, that's where you were born and that's where you... I mean, what other yeah. country would then, I mean, you didn't choose to be born there, were you? That's right. It yeah. wasn't your choice. Yeah, yes. But I, I, I always thought I was African too, frankly. But uh, yes, but I, I'm hoping that as time goes by and in Africa, that this, this idea of race uh, um, it becomes mellowed because there is such creativity in Africa, and I love that about Africa. And, they, and there's such opportunity and and diversity and and all of that energy is is there and and if it's it's continually polarized on the on the subject of race it 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 i think it it prevents people from tapping into the creative spirit of Africa and everything that is there in africa that can is 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 there's so much opportunity. If, if we can get past all of that. But the wars have been fought. Well, specifically in my country, the, the narrative was used, that narrative was used to harm a lot of people in that country, which was very unfortunate history. So were there any significant difficulties when it came to moving into the UK? Um, no, I think I've been... Uh, I, I think I've been welcomed very well by by being in england and i've i've found it very easy to connect to systems and to to integrate in all of that way the only part of me probably by being here is i still feel a sense of oh i don't know it's 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 difficult for me to put finger on it really it's just like even though i i i've speak with a very english voice and i look english and everything I I'm I, I sometimes feel I want to bend down and smell the soil in my nostrils, whereas when I'm in Africa, I know I can smell the dust already, uh, and and I'm part of it, and so I still feel a slight sense of divorcement from that whilst I'm here. But in everything else, integrating in in England and being part of English sensibility and all of that has been really very, and I think England's welcomed me very well. Um, but I did, when I first came here, deliberately not go and get myself a British passport and clung to my own Zimbabwean passport for 15 years before I decided to make that decision <laughs> in order to continue to cling to my African heritage, really. And I still do keep my Zimbabwean passport. I mean, you're talking about the dust. One of the things that just spring to mind for me is that when I came to live here... yeah. 
and then I didn't have to polish my shoes as much. And I just thought, wow, you know, I can buy a pair of shoes, wear it for a whole year without even, I didn't even know where you could buy, you know, the polish creams. You know, in Africa, you have to do that every single day. That's right, because it, 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 yes, (laughs) that's right, yes. And I I think it took me a while to, I I suppose it did take me a while to have to think, oh, I've got to put a coat on and a jersey on and a scarf on before I go out. Because in Africa, you just put on your T-shirt and your, you know, sandals and you're okay for the rest of the day. You don't have to pull on or take off clothes as you walk Layering, layering. Yeah. That's the yeah. art of layering. You yes. have to learn the art of te- oh, layering. Yes. Can you tell me how you were feeling the first moments after you landed in the UK? Um, the way that I was feeling, well, I, a bit mind-blasted, really, I think. Um, I didn't know how I was going to earn my next penny. Um, I thought I worried about how I was going to, you know, buy clothes and feed my child because I knew for not, not after a short while, my then husband would be off again on a contract somewhere around the world and I'd be on my own with my daughter. So it was all a little bit scary. That's how I think I felt. But I didn't feel threatened. I felt uh, it was mm. safe, mm. yeah. Mm. Oh, that's brilliant because I, I remember landing here as, as I was speaking to somebody, it's like, I lost my luggage. So that was oh the goodness. first devastating thing that happened. Yeah. Not me losing it, it's the airline lost yes. it. Yes. So I spent a whole week or something trying to, you know, just, and it was in January, so it was freezing. So it's one of those things I remember and I can never forget those points. It must have made you feel like you wanted to get onto the next and plane. No, back. to go back, exactly. But what were the stark difference between the UK and you are, you know, and Zimbabwe that you first noticed when you landed? The light, mm. the light and the sky, blue skies of Africa. It wasn't there outside when I walked outside the airport building, mm. and uh, it was grey and a bit damp, and I felt I'd lost the light. Aww. Yes, that was the feeling I had. Oh, but uh, you know, then spring came along, and. Uh, well, it's something quite the most beautiful thing in the world is is a, an English spring day, to be honest with you, when it's sunny. So, you know, it compensated later on. I know, I know. We've we've talked about, you know, the spring and the times that we've spent, you know, outside and, yeah. you know, different places. Yeah. But can you tell me about, you know, did you move to a community when you came to England or how was that? Because you, you just mentioned that, you know, you moved with your daughter and your husband. So was there any community around you that you felt like, okay, yeah. you know how big community is in yes, Africa. Yes. So I just thought, you know, yeah. how did that go for no, you? No, I didn't know anybody in the town that I live in. Um, I came I'm not knowing anybody, but um, I, I had already managed to find a school for my, my daughter to, to join before I came here. Oh, being very efficient, mother. And anyway, so when I took her to school, I then talked to other women and then I began to grow a little community of friends. And it's from the school and my daughter going to school that I began to create a community here and network and get in touch and find friends and Mm. learn my way Mm. around the the Mm. place. Yeah, it was a school really. Were there any cultural differences and misunderstandings that occurred in those first few years? You know, you know, when you're in Africa and then you come to a new country. Yeah. Were there any cultural differences and misunderstanding that occurred in those first few years that you did something and you think, <laughs> oh, what's that all about? Um, I think 
culturally. Isn't it odd, really? But yes, I remember one day my daughter, she brought home some friends and uh, I cooked up a traditional meal from Africa, which was in in Zimbabwe. The meal is is the, the porridge-like food that you eat, which, which people stir up, which is a meal porridge, is a mealy meal porridge, and it's called salsa. And I made this delicious relish. And all the girls sat down around the table and we started to eat. And my daughter, she started to eat and I started to eat and we ate with our hands. And that was quite strange because all the little girls had never eaten food with their hands before. That was something that was quite starkly different, yes. So did the other little girls join in, in eating with their hands? No, or no did they, they didn't. We, we, no, we, we had to help <laughs> show them and help them. And it was a great jolly occasion because no one had eaten with their hands before. So it was it was interesting, yeah. Oh, yeah. that is that is interesting. I think, I think yeah. we forget and take for granted, you know, growing up, yeah. we used to just, you know, Use your hands in yeah. in every anything you know. You yeah. just pick, like you said, about picking the fruit from the tree. Yes. You know, going to the market, just you know, buying the fruit. Is that yeah. all this? You know, everything is within reach, not packaged. Uh, yes. I was having a conversation with somebody. Is like, in reality, vegetables and fruits are they're never packaged. Why would you want to sort of seal mangoes or bananas? Yes. You know what is the packaging for? That is something that sometimes, you know, throws me back and I just think, okay, when you pick a banana, it's already covered. So why do you need to package it? And it's the different lifestyles and things that we do and the practices, as you say, that makes us, you know, just try and reflect a little bit about our background and where we are and Mm -hmm. what is the norm. So what is your relationship with the UK versus your home country now? Um, Within myself, intrinsically, probably... Not much, other than when I go back to visit the friends of mine there, which I still got lovely, lovely, strong women friends there, thankfully. They're just gorgeous, really. But I have become something apart, which was interesting for me because I've never thought of myself as something apart, but I am when I go back. My experience living here means that I have an experience that is apart from those that still live in, in Africa that I know. And that was slightly interesting and, and, and it made me feel a bit sad because I didn't want to feel that as, as being something that would happen, but it has happened and it's just probably life in general. We, we, you know, we live and grow and take on experiences that do separate us sometimes, but Luckily, we're all still good friends, and so you know we can pick up from where we left off. But I have a different experience and different story to tell them now, mm. whereas they have continued with their story within the context of Africa where they live today. And yeah. you just mentioned about holding on to your passport, a Zimbabwean passport, for the last how long? Yes. So do you see yourself as Zimbabwean, or do you see yourself? How do you see yourself now? That's such a difficult question to answer, isn't it? Because I sometimes feel like I've fallen between two stools or perhaps I've got a, a foot in both places now and that that is a blessing, but it's 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 a it's a torn sensibility in within one's heart because I still I I like I'd like my bones to end up in Africa, you know, at the end of it all. So does that make me still solidly African? But I'm here and I have this experience and I have to build on the best of what I've got here. 
Does that make me an, a, a European English person today? I am a European English looking person. Um, yes, I, I vacillate between the two slightly at the moment. That's where I'm at at the moment. And what yeah. about your daughter? Now, because she was born in Africa. Yes, she was. She, she's grown up in she's England. Up, Where yeah. does she identify? She most? identifies with England. Okay. Yeah. Because her experiences of... Um, Growing up and all of her friends that she's made are here. But she loves going back to have holidays in Africa. Yeah. Because that's one of the things for me is one of the things I always say, I'm the best of both worlds. I can't choose one or the other. I can never say that. I'm not Kenyan because I was born in Kenya first. Yeah. That's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, my life here, I've lived here longer than I've lived in Kenya. So yeah. I'm still as British as I can be. So I'm a product of both worlds. I can't choose one or the other. That's it. So what happens in the future is something, you know, we have to live the best life we can live in the places we have. Yes, I have a connection in Kenya. My mom's still there and I speak to my mom all the time. But as you said, you feel removed because of your experiences are different from your friends. I've lived here for a long time. Other than family, I cannot say I have friends out there. And that is quite interesting, you talking about your friends. I personally just see my friends as mainly in the UK and family in Kenya. And it's it's a tough one. It messes up with your head sometimes, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, it does. Um... I think it, it, when I, if I sometimes I'm in a, in a quiet place and I, I'm, you know, feeling a little bit sort of trying to lament these things slightly to myself, and then I sort of beat myself up because I say, look, look, around the world today, when you relate your own experience of being displaced or removed or t- gone somewhere else, in fact, around the world today, there's so many people who have found themselves in different realities because of whatever has taken place, like how you introduced this podcast, which is um, about whatever experience it is that one has, whether you've left because of different different experiences. There are so many people that are doing it. The, the migration around the world today is huge. So everybody is having this experience. A lot of people, well, not everybody, lots of people are having this experience. So it's not unique. Mm, what no, I feel. No, totally, so, totally agree. Yeah, so yeah. are you happy with your decision to have moved? Yes, and uh, any feelings that I have that I may regret having left is 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 receding into the background uh, because I'm being able to place that experience um as as being an experience rather than it being a sense of loss. Uh, and I'm grateful for that because um, we've got to become universal spirits mm. in the mm. world today, haven't we? Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, and take advantage of everything that we have given to us and... Yeah, I think I think that's that's what. Yeah. And what message would you give to your younger self? To my younger self. Yeah, looking back from that past day, what mm. message would you give to your younger self? To never regret anything. Yeah, Fab. that's about it, really. Fab. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, do you plan to make the UK your home forever? Oh no, I want my bones to be in Africa when I die. 
Why? Why? So they they, they stay nice and warm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I'd like I'd like to be able to stretch my eyes to the horizon and see a giraffe walk past me. You know, uh, I'd like to see the sunset and uh, uh, be be an old lady sitting, looking out across the Victoria Falls, perhaps I don't know, and and have a lovely, cheerful uh, African woman sitting with me chatting, or or seeing children play. In the, in the dust, why not? Oh, you know, uh, I'd love that. Yeah, I don't want to be having to feel that I'm too cold in a room that's in dampness and darkness. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love, I'd love to end up that way anyway. Oh, thank you so much, Francis. <laughs> We've only just touched about you know the conversation we've been having for so long. Anything else you'd like to share about your migration story? Anything else? Go on. Um, I have an innate sense of wanting to be able to share anything that I have gained from being in a first world situation back in Africa. And I never quite know how to to, to formulate that or, or put it into practice. Uh, um, it would be nice to be able to do something like that. If somebody can learn from that or I can give back something slightly like that, that would be nice. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot, Francis. Thank okay. you. We've had long conversations <laughs> and it's been really nice to really sit down and have a chat. Oh, goodness. And, well, thank and, you. And, and I think this is just, um, you know, we've just touched the surface. <laughs> or some of the topics that we do, we, we, we sit down over coffee. Yeah. And, you know, uh, hopefully you come back and, you know, have a chat again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Francis. Right. Thank okay. you. Thank you for listening to I Migrate the Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share with a friend or subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can even write a review. Thanks, and we'll see you next episode. I Migrate the Podcast is hosted by Florence Nusamo. It is produced by Tyra at Foss Creative Studio and is brought to you by Lives of Colour.